Turn, if you would, to the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. Well, our play is going well. I think I told you I was in a play. Halfway through the play, we have a big fight. I get to beat up little kids. And uh, we did succeed in breaking somebody's nose during the fight uh, one night this week. It happens. Last week, we started chapter 24. If you remember in chapter 23, Jesus had his debate, his fight, his declarations against the Pharisees, and they are leaving Jerusalem, and his disciples look at all the magnificence that is the temple, that is Jerusalem, and they want Jesus to be impressed, and they say, isn't this really cool? Lose translation. And Jesus tells them, every stone you see is going to be torn down. Everything that you see is going to be destroyed. And so as they leave, as they get across the valley, they ask him, when are these things going to happen? When are you coming back? When is the destruction? And when is the end of the age, the end of the world as we know it? And Jesus is spending chapters 24 and chapters 25 addressing that topic. Last week, we began with the conclusion, and we will do so again today. The conclusion of the lesson is point number one, Jesus is coming back. Not in some metaphorical sense, but in reality, he is coming back. In fact, we saw it last week, and we'll see it again today. He makes the comment, don't be deceived. Because people will say they are the Christ. They will say they are the Messiah. He said, don't believe them. If somebody says, come with me, I found the Messiah, don't believe them. Because when Jesus returns the second time, it is going to be so obvious there will be no dispute. Jesus is coming back. Point number two, nobody knows when. We saw that last week. We will see it again in today's lesson. He will just come out and say, nobody but God the Father knows. I don't even know. We'll have a discussion about that in just a moment. Point number three, there is going to be judgment after the return of Christ. And point number four, we are called to be prepared. We had an interesting discussion and I use the word discussion loosely because I was the only one talking. <laughs> About the fact that my perspective is that we spend a whole lot of time trying to find out the day when Jesus tells us we don't know the day. And in fact, um, I brought last week a little booklet that I remember reading when it came out, 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. And I could be mistaken, but I don't think it happened. I'm just, that's my speculation. His argument was the fact that the earth has 24 time zones, we don't really know the day, even if we know the day, right? Doesn't make any sense to me. I do think it's interesting how fast news travels in this day and age. I leave here last week after the lesson and go down and work with the toddlers, 
and watch them chase around. And then we on our way home, and I'm standing in line at the grocery store getting a few, few things for lunch. And the guy in front of me says, oh, I heard you had a rant about Revelation today. <laughs> now that person happens to be my brother-in-law, who happens to be the minister of men at this church, who happens to be teaching through the book of Revelation. I'm going, how did you hear that so quick? News travels. I want you to understand, I have said, I said it last week and I've said it repeatedly, somewhat in jest, that there's three things I won't teach about. Marriage, parenting, and the book of Revelation. You should remember, it's not because I don't think the book of Revelation is important. It's just, I'm not sure I'm competent to teach it at this point in my life. It's like marriage and parenting. Both, of, I think, are very important. I just don't know anything about them. <laughs> so, picking up where we left off last week. Last week, we gave a brief discussion. I used that word again, didn't I? We had a brief presentation about different perspectives of the timeline of the end age. We talked about amillennialism, we talked about postmillennialism, and we talked about premillennialism. We talked about the tribulation, we talked about pre-tribulational rapture, mid-tribulational rapture, and a post-tribulational rapture. Our church is a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial church. I had one individual come up to, after class yesterday, and he said, I mean, last week, and he said, I'm an amillennialist. I said, more power to you. <laughs> Whatever. Our church believes that the rapture will occur before the tribulation happens, and that most of the events that are described in Matthew 24 concern the tribulation period, and thus the believers that are believers before will not experience it. But, comma, there will be believers, there will be people converted during the tribulation period. And you say, how can that be if all of the believers are sucked out? Why? Because this, the Word of God, is still going to be here. And the Word of God is powerful and will accomplish its purpose. So last week we talked about wars and rumors of wars. Hmm. Let's wait some more. <coughs> we talked about wars and rumors of wars. We talked about earthquakes. We talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And if you are a good amillennialist and are a good postmillennialist, you believe that that occurred in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. At that point in time, what Jesus had told the disciples was true. Not a stone was left on top of each other. We believe there'll be yet another temple and yet another destruction. So let's pick up, I don't know, in verse uh, 26. No, 24. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There are going to be people doing amazing things. Now, whether they're doing it through technology, possibly, or doing it through the power of the devil himself, 
Possibly. We don't know, but they're going to do enough tricks that some people will think, wow, that's the Messiah. Because who else could do that? I've always been fascinated about the fact when Moses was in Pharaoh's court telling Pharaoh to let his people go. And remember, he did a sign. And guess what? Pharaoh's magicians copied it. And then he did another sign. And Pharaoh's magicians copied it. And then he did another one, and the magician said, hey, I don't have a clue how he did that one. There is the ability through either satanic power or, as I said, technology and tricks to mimic some of the signs that Christ is going to show. Except Christ isn't going to show any signs at this point. Christ is going to show up and everybody's going to know it. But even during the tribulation period, there will be people claiming to be the Messiah. See, I, <clears throat> see, I have told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, that's a really strange sentence. Let's ignore that one and back up a little bit more, okay? Yes, sir. No, I'm going to talk about it. No. Yeah, but not much. <laughs> We're going to finish this chapter. <clears throat> As the lightning comes from the east and goes to the west, picture if you will. Let's see, that's east. Let's picture lightning going all the way across the sky as far as you can see. In fact, I will contend that it's going to start over here and it's going to end over here because it's going to go all the way around. That's just my contention. There are going to be signs that are so miraculous that nobody can mistake what's going to happen. So, somebody comes to you today, and trust me, they do it even today. And I'm not sure, but I'm not, I don't think this is the tribulation. Okay? It could all be a joke. We could all be post-tribs instead. But anyway. But... Today, there are people who claim to be the Messiah. They get their followers and they go out, and one of those followers comes to you and says, I have met this guy. He knows the Bible. He is the greatest thing ever. In fact, I am convinced he is the Messiah, I think. Don't go bother, because it isn't. If they have to convince you he's not the Messiah... Now, when Jesus came the first time in the manger as a human baby, yes, it took persuasion to tell people that this is the Messiah. You did have to invite people to come to hear Jesus speak. You had to say, come on. Look at what he's done. Look at the miracles he has performed. He has raised people from the dead. People who are blind can now see. You had to tell people what Jesus had done. That will not be true at this point in time. At this point in time, 
at the end of the tribulation, at the time of the second coming, it will be obvious to everyone. Now, what does this mean? Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will, will gather. Well, it is probably true that this is a statement that they made at the time, you know, like a rolling stone gathers no moss or something. But what they're saying is, how do you know when there's a dead guy over there? Well, the vultures are there. How do you know when some event has occurred, you look for the things that show up when that event occurs? Well, what's going to happen when Jesus returns? That's what he's been talking about, and that's what he's going to continue to talk about in the next paragraph. If you haven't noticed, I am losing my voice. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Huh. Let's just stop right there. What does it say is going to happen? The sun the moon, the stars themselves are going to be affected because of the second coming of Christ. Sometimes we forget this. We live in a very materialistic age. And when I say materialistic, it's not just that we want more stuff, although that's true. We see everything in material terms. We've been taught that by the science of our day. Matter and energy are all that exist, and they go back and forth. So even we as believers sometimes begin to think, okay, there is the natural world that is controlled by natural laws, and then there's the spiritual world that does its own thing. The Scriptures doesn't make that distinction because God is the creator and the sustainer of everything that is in the natural world. So if the sun wants to go out, it's going to be dark. Unless, do you know what the book of Revelations tells us? There's no sun in heaven. Why? Because the glory of God is all the light you will ever need. Nature itself is going to rejoice at the coming of the Messiah. Nature itself, Romans chapter 8 says, nature is groaning right now in anticipation of the return of Christ. So Christ is going to return and this sign is going to appear in the sky. I do not know what that sign looks like. It could be a cross. It could be something but it's not going to be something that the scientist or anyone else can explain away. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. Remember the last thing we were saying. If somebody comes and says, I've got Messiah in this closet, come look at him, don't go. Because when the real Messiah, when Christ himself shows up, it will be evident to everyone. Now, you think that all the tribes of the earth would be excited. Wouldn't this be cool? I've always said that the best words in the Bible 
and the worst words in the Bible are the same words. And it's simply this, prepare to meet your maker. If you are in Christ, if you believe and worship the true God, the opportunity to meet God, to meet Christ, is an astounding, wonderful thing. And you look forward to it with anticipation. But if you have spent your life worshiping other things, or pretending to worship something that's not really God, this is going to be a horrible time. Now, I do not know how many believers are on the planet Earth at this point in time. But remember, the majority of them have already been taken off. So there are a, well, what does the scripture refer to it? A remnant that does believe. But the majority of the planet is going to say, oh shoot, what's happening? Something bad is happening. My contention is that we do have it built into our being that there is a God and that there's going to be judgment. We spend our lives living as if I can get away with this. I can get away with worshiping me instead of God. I can get away with worshiping power instead of God. I can get away with it. And when this thing appears in the sky, when the angels show up, you know you're caught. You know you're in deep trouble. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Jewish scholars at the time of Christ had spent a lot of time studying the Old Testament and studying the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. I will cut them a little bit of slack in the sense that Jesus, on his first appearance, didn't seem to match some of those prophecies. Now, there were those prophecies, though, that they didn't know what to do with. They didn't know what to do with the suffering servant. They didn't know what to do with someone who was going to be crucified. They didn't know what to do with those prophecies because it didn't fit into what they wanted, which was somebody to take care of the Romans. When Jesus returns, it's not, he is not going to be some helpless infant lying in a manger. He's not going to be someone who needs the protection of his mother and his father. He's not someone that Herod is going to be able to say, go kill the kid. Okay, kill all the kids just to make sure we get him. That's not going to be the case when he returns again. He is going to return with power and great glory. How will we see the glory? You'll see it. He'll glow like the sun. Power, he is coming to judge the earth. 
This is the Messiah that spoke the world into existence. Now, the baby born in the manger, that was the same Messiah. But God had a purpose of Jesus being born as a human being, coming to earth in order that he could pay the penalty for our sins. That's been done. It's not going to be done again. It isn't, I'm coming down, I'm going to preach the gospel. If you repent, if you follow me, woohoo, you're on our side. No. The judge of the universe is showing up at this point in time. What does that mean? Don't wait until the day after. You can just put that on your list. The day after is too late. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. All those who are true believers will be drawn to him. We have the believers that have been taken up in the rapture. They're going to be coming back for the millennial kingdom. The believers that are here on the earth will be called to him, and they'll be excited. It's the rest of the world who's a little terrified. Now, at this point, you can have all kinds of speculation, and I'm not going to go into it, because, well, we don't know. If here's the earth, and the earth is a ball, and Jesus shows up at this latitude and longitude at some altitude, that's the engineering thing that I deal with, um, how can the whole world see him? Well... God will work that out. God will figure that out. In the modern day, we could talk about technology providing that ability to see him around the world. I think God himself will work that out. Everybody will know that he has shown up. The angels will call the elect. In the next section, he starts a series of parables and pictures to talk about what this is going to be like. First off, he's going to talk about the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. You can sit there and drive through town, and by looking at certain trees and certain bushes, you know what the season is. You know, we can argue in Texas that sometimes the trees start blossoming too early, and you go, hmm, that could be a problem. But you know what a tree blossoming means. It means the beginning of spring, the beginning of summer. It means that there is an event that is about to occur. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This generation, that's bugged people since the day that Jesus said it. Why? Because every person that heard this conversation is dead. All their friends are dead. All their families are dead. They're all dead. 
That generation did not see the return of Jesus Christ. So is this sentence true or is it false? Well, we know it has to be true. What generation is he talking about? Well, it's the generation that saw all the signs before this. They saw the destruction of the temple. They saw the return. They saw all these horrible things happen, and they said, hmm. And Jesus said, when this clock starts, the beginning of the tribulation and on to the second coming, when this clock starts, that generation is not going to pass away. Now, let's just have a very brief discussion about something that bothers a lot of people. It's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. Not quite, but almost. Every generation of believers, let's lay aside the pagans for a while, every generation of believers has hoped and prayed that theirs is the generation. And it didn't happen. Does that mean God's word is not being fulfilled? No. It means that God's not ready yet. God is still having patience on the planet earth and showing mercy by giving more people time to respond to the gospel. Were these people fools for living as if he could come in that generation? No. All of us today, a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, or at the time of Christ, every one of us should live our lives in anticipation of the second coming. And if we die before that happens, we go to heaven and the party starts anyway. What have you lost? There is part of me that says, I wish he would come this afternoon. In fact, he could come right now and I wouldn't have to finish this lesson. And you would never know how Matthew ends. But guess what? We wouldn't care. We wouldn't care. He could come this afternoon, and I would think that would be great. But we also all know people who we want to respond to the gospel. And we pray, give us one more day, one more week, one more period of time that we can share the gospel with these people. There'll come a time, you don't get to pick it, I don't get to pick it. God has already chosen that day. But there will be signs. And like the fig tree that starts the little buds and produces the leaves, you know that spring is coming. I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse uh, 35, you just need to memorize. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I know that in this context, 
Jesus is talking about the events that he's describing right here. But as a general rule of life and the way the universe is built, the Word of God is and always will be true. Notice what started this whole conversation. The disciples going, wow, isn't this temple really cool? And guess what? The temple really was cool. And Jesus says that's going to pass away. You can walk around today and find the most magnificent things that exist in the world as we know it. And there's lots of really cool things. There's architecture, there's art, there's musical creations, there are things that are built, things that are talked about, things that are done, and they're magnificent. They really are. And it's all going to pass away. What is going to survive? The Word of God. What does the Word of God promise? God is going to send His angels and they're going to collect the elect. What's not going to pass away? Humanity, God, and the Word of God. Enjoy the great things of this world. Go to Europe. See the beautiful churches, the beautiful cathedrals, the beautiful scenery that God has created. But remember, all of that is going to pass away. And that next door neighbor who you don't think much of, that would be my, no. <coughs> Did I happen to mention the brother-in-law who is teaching Revelations is my, also my next door neighbor? That next door neighbor who you don't think much of, they're going to last forever. They are immortal beings. And we look at the giant cathedral and we go, wow, isn't that cool? And it's going to become dust. And that person is made in the image of God and will last forever. Why? Because that's what God's word told us and God's word will last. But these people all died. I keep going back to that, right? We should live our lives in the continued anticipation of the second coming of Christ. But what that means is we do the work that God would have us to do. Let's keep going. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. He just said it right there. Not even the angels of heaven, okay, I can understand that, nor the angels, but the father, no, nor the son, but the father only. Now that's weird. This bothers some of us. Isn't Jesus fully God? Yes, he is. Okay, if he is fully God, doesn't he know everything that God knows? Yes and no. 
We have talked about this repeatedly in this class, but it is so important that you understand it. God, the Son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth as a human being. He had, at that point in time, all the attributes of God and all the attributes of humanity combined together. And you go, how does that work? It's really cool. <laughs> but in order for that to work, in order for Jesus to be a human just like you and I, to suffer the same temptations as you and I do, some of those attributes namely some of his divine attributes, he set aside for a time. The scripture talks about he emptied himself of some of these attributes. But if you read the scripture, you see those times he reaches over and he pulls one off the shelf. He's in a boat in the middle of the night, huge storm. Everybody's panicking except Jesus. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Why? He's not panicking at all. And the disciples wake him and said, Don't you even care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up, stretches a little bit, reaches up onto that shelf, grabs a little omnipotence, and he tells the storm, Stop! And it stopped. And he stretches a little more and he puts that back on the shelf and he said, what would you think of that, guys? No, he didn't say that. But it's said they were scared to death. Why? Because there was someone in that boat that they didn't understand. Jesus, in his humanity, set aside some of the attributes of his divine nature for a period and put himself under the authority of the Father. Remember he says, my will is to do the will of the Father. And one of the things that he set aside was his knowledge of everything. He didn't set aside all of his knowledge, he set aside the ability to know everything. And this produces all kinds of interesting discussions that we won't even you know, begin to scratch the surface on. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, did he know that God was going to raise him from the dead? In his humanity, I would say he didn't. And he said, if it's possible, choose plan B. But whatever happens, I'm going with you. I don't know. But it says right here, when he is sitting there with his disciples, he's not not telling them something that he knows. He has set that ability aside, and he is operating under the power and direction of God the Father. For, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. 
Picture this. Not the movie that came out a couple of years ago about Noah. Do not watch that movie. Yeah, don't get me started on that one. Noah has been called by God to build an ark. A boat, a ship, in a country that didn't have any water. Well, it had water, it was coming up from the ground. But he starts building a boat. And his neighbors go, what you building? A bigger house? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? Because God's going to destroy the earth. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. So they go doing their normal things. What do people normally do? They eat lunch. They eat dinner. They get up and eat breakfast. They get married. They have children. For a long time, Noah is over there, that crackpot down the street, and he's building a boat. You would just get used to it. You really would. You'd think, gosh, that thing is getting bigger and bigger. Doesn't he have anything better to do with his time? Let's go eat lunch. Let's eat dinner. Let's let our kids get married. Let's have a party. Let's do this as if life would continue in the same way day upon day upon day. Tomorrow is going to be like yesterday, and the day after that, I'll eat lunch again. And the day after that, I'll eat lunch again. We're just doing our normal things. And at some point, unbeknownst to most people, all these animals started showing up. And they went onto Noah's boat. Now, that's a little strange, but you know, it's lunchtime. We'll eat lunch, we'll eat dinner, and in the morning we'll eat breakfast. My daughter's getting married. My son's getting married. Life continues. And one day, when nobody had any clue what was going on, Noah got in the ark, and God closed the door. It is interesting you know, right, that Noah didn't close the door. It was not Noah's responsibility to exclude humanity from the safety of the ark. God will take care of that. And the door closed. And guess what? The neighbors had lunch. And then they had dinner. And they fully expected to get up in the morning and have breakfast. And lunch again. And their daughter was getting married, and life goes on, except it started to rain. And you and I have been in rains that it has rained really, really hard. Trust me, you haven't been in rain like this. I mean, it's like you're sitting under Niagara Falls, and all of a sudden, you go, I wonder why Noah was building the ark. Oh, I bet it was because of the rain. And all of a sudden, lunch isn't that important. Dinner isn't that important. And you begin to wonder whether you'll have breakfast in the morning. What is this telling us? We have a tendency to just keep operating as if everything's going to continue tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to return 
and God is going to close the door. You had the opportunity to hear the gospel, and you didn't. Judgment is coming. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You don't know. Next week's lesson, we're going to have a couple of parables dealing with that exact topic. But he actually ends this chapter with one. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. You are the master of a house, a very well-to-do house. You have valuable things in your house. You have clothing, you have food, you have jewels, you have people, valuable stuff. And you know that somebody is going to break into your house at 3.23 a.m. What are you going to do? You're going to get your best servants. You're going to go to the gun cabinet. You're going to give them some nice weapons. And you're going to tell them at 3.23 a.m. Somebody's going to try to break in. And we'll have more firepower and we're going to stop them. That's what you would do. You'd get your best guys and you'd be ready for that thief. But you don't know that the thief is coming at 3.23 a.m. You don't know that he's coming at all. So what do you do? You blow out the candle, you kiss your wife goodnight, and you go to sleep. Just as if nothing was going to happen. What are you trusting in? Well, I got a door. I've got walls, but you know, I'm tired. I had lunch, I had dinner. It's time to go to bed so I can eat breakfast. If you had known when he was coming, you would have been ready. Therefore, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean? Well, he's going to talk here about, well, he's going to talk about his disciples. It's in a picture, but he's going to talk about believers. But let's back up one more step before we get to that story. What does it mean to be ready for the coming Messiah. Number one, you've got to be on the right team. Remember the sentence up earlier? All the world, all the tribes of the world are going to be grinding their teeth in agony. Why? Because they're not ready. The scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given to us so that we can be ready for this day right here. There are those who say that the study of philosophy, the purpose of the study of philosophy is to prepare you to die. And there's some truth to that. 
We learn about the meaning of life. We learn about so that we can die well. What is the purpose of the scripture? To prepare us for this event right here. We need to acknowledge that we have, in fact, sinned against a holy God. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you start seeing that. And you see it in every chapter. We, as a fallen creature, have rebelled against a holy God. So starting in the Old Testament, God said, you want to be right with me? Take that animal, slit its throat, shed its blood, and you can be right with me. That's weird. But God was giving the people an opportunity to see what it took to deal with the sin of a fallen humanity and was preparing them for the coming of a Messiah who would die, the perfect human being who had no sin. Jesus did not have to die for his own sin. You and I are going to die because we sinned. Any of you want to debate the fact that you've sinned? We're all old enough to know that, right? We're going to die because we sinned. Jesus did not die because he sinned. He died because the Father said, this is the sacrifice that I will accept for the sin of all of humanity. And we, acknowledging that we have sinned, acknowledging that we are in need of a Savior, accept Jesus Christ and we are prepared for this day. This day right here. The return of Christ, well, we can start with the rapture or the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. The elect are going to be excited. The rest, not so much. But what about us as disciples of Christ? What do we need to be doing? Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find doing, do so doing when he comes. What are we in relationship to God? We are his servants. Not much room for pride here, but we tend to put it in there anyway. What are we as servants supposed to be doing? The work that God has given us to do. Well, I don't know what that is. Study the scripture. If you still don't know what it is, come talk to me. I can start giving you a list. Love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of the poor. Visit those who are sick. Do the works of mercy that we're called to do. So, I decide, you know, today just doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do anything good today. I'm not going to do what God told me to do today. And today God shows up. Today the second coming occurs. Well, I didn't know you were coming. Yeah, that's the point. What is it we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing the work that God has appointed us to do. It's really very simple. But wait, I'll do that tomorrow, or the next day, or the next, and we don't do it. Why? Well, 
it's lunchtime. And that's followed by dinner. And then I've got to sleep, so I'll wake up for breakfast. I'm going to give people in marriage. We're going to do this. We're going to live as if this world is the end of all things. And guess what? We will not be ready. We're going to stop right here. We'll finish off this chapter and continue in the next one next week. Because what he's going to do is to continue to tell us, to teach us what it means to be ready. But remember the conclusion that we started with. Jesus is coming back. Literally. Not metaphorically. We don't know when. So we need to be prepared. There is going to be a judgment and we need to be prepared, and we need to be prepared by doing the work that the Master has given us to do. But he hasn't told me to do a whole lot. I don't care. Do what he has told you to do. I've used the illustration in here a hundred times because I like it so much. I have this vague picture that somewhere is some sweet elderly lady who can't get out of her bed and her prayers are holding the universe together. That's just my speculation. You know, we think that when we get to heaven, Billy Graham is going to be at the top of the pecking order. And guess what? Billy Graham did the work of the master and the master will reward him for it. But you know, that sweet lady in bed praying and holding the universe together, Billy Graham's going to look at her and go, I wish I could have been more like you. No. They'll all say, I wish we could have been more like Christ. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of your return. I pray, Lord, that each of us would live our lives as if we would be ready this afternoon. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.